Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast. The Podcast. Where we discuss everything you need to know and perhaps some things you don't about how to fail forward in young adult ministry. These monthly podcasts discuss culture topics, interview guests, cover books, and rift on anything else that we feel like is relevant. Hello, my name is Kenny. I live in the Boise, Idaho area where I'm the volunteer director with my local church, Young Adult Ministry. And I'm Chris in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm on staff with University Christian Fellowship as a church engagement catalyst and the National Coordinator for Campus Mission, which is an outreach of the Church of the Nazarene to college and university students. And I'm Jeremy in Nashville, Tennessee, where I serve as the university pastor and community engagement pastor at Trebekah Community Church. And, and here, here we, we go. Here we go. Go. Uh, Jeremy, could you just recap everything that Chris said to me or said to you so that I could feel like it was said to me? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's see if I can do it. Uh, we were just talking about his... Um, his trip to, to Mount Vernon um, and his feelings of not feeling like it was the, the best uh, message that he had ever shared. So we were talking through some of that because, um, you know, it's one, it's been a weird year uh, for all of us. And that's what I was, I was kind of touching on that. We just don't have much ex- as much experience speaking or like sharing stories as often. I feel like, um, and then also for him being out of speaking and preaching consistently over the last decade. So we were just talking about that and the, the lack of a full video feed on their website. And, um, but I agree. What I think as you were coming on, Chris said that Stephanie had talked about him coming back, which I agree with you, Chris. Yeah. If, if you didn't feel like somebody did good, you would not want to place that out there at all. Any right. kind of expectation. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, let me let me tell you a, a number of uh, uh, problems that you have. Number one, it was really good. The parts that I got to listen to, I listened to your whole 10 minutes that they were willing to air. And I uh, hashtag MVNU Chapel Conspiracy. Um, where are the missing minutes? That's what I want to know. Will the internet sleuths please mobilize um i i'd like to have that footage secondly um your second problem is that i felt the spirit encouraging me as i was listening to you and i don't think it's just because you're my friend and i want you to succeed um and i i, I might have written a part of it in my journal i need to go back and listen to it again but the part where you talked about this is my summary of it where you talked about like how the spirit kind of directs and stopping and be- oh it was when you were on the trail and you were kind of lost and it was dark and you weren't sure where to go and you're yeah. in the wilderness you know and i'm like identifying just personally with your physical description of the story that you told well so dismiss excuses and not about not being a good storyteller and 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 feeling and feeling rusty because i told you before you went into this you know all the things that we tell other people that we really believe when we tell them but then when we reflect on them ourselves about ourselves and it's harder to believe like when you're weak then like he is strong you know 
And I'm listening to you talk about, oh, let's stop and be still and just like center for a second and pay attention. And okay, God, what do I do? And you, and you feel a breeze. And then you know from this breeze which direction kind of, okay, then it must be coming from this direction because the mountains and the valley, blah, blah, so I'm going to head this way. And it just reminded me of Jesus's, you know, riddle about, you know, the spirit blows wherever it pleases. And that's, that's been the year that I've, I felt like I've had in the wilderness. And then just every once in a while catching a breeze of the spirit's direction. And I just, I just feel like a tumbleweed rolling around Idaho because we got a lot of them. I'm just joining the crowd. That, um, but, that story, uh, sorry to just interject real quick before you move yeah. on from that story. Um, the thing that I left from hearing that uh, story when you shared it, Chris, was one, I have, like, you, you explained it fine. I just, I've never gone, like, overnight hiking. Like, um, I've never camped. I've never done more than, like, day hikes. So I didn't, like, while I understood what you said, I did not grasp how you would have that knowledge of, like, which way you should go. And all I, all I could think of in thinking of, like, the Holy Spirit was, like, oh, like, yeah, the Holy Spirit can be, or the Holy Spirit can trying to be speak to speaking to me. But if I don't have a basis for like, if I'm not slowing down enough and have a basis to be able to to understand where the Holy Spirit's leading, like it's not like if I was in that place where you were, Chris, feeling the wind would have done nothing for me because I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't understand. I had like no base knowledge. Like I like it was, it it, it hit me. It was like, oh, if I'm not spending time trying to to learn and create the space to discern uh in my own journey like mm-hmm. spiritually like the holy spirit's movement isn't going to do anything for me I, it, not that it, but like i'm not going to be able to discern the direction um yeah jeremy's dropping rhyme bars <laughs> discern and learn <laughs> yeah. yeah and that was like a panic moment that was you know and your tendency is to just sort of keep hiking and scrambling and trying to figure out which way to go Um, but I turned off the headlamp. I mean, completely pitch black, couldn't see anything in front of my face. Um, And then because I was sweating, like I was hypersensitive to the breeze. And I I just remember that chill feeling and then noticing, okay, this is where that's coming from. That must be the opening back up to where I left the trail. So, yeah, it was definitely a moment, and but it was, it was one of those moments where I don't, I don't think I normally would have the intuition to think like, oh, let me decide which way the wind's blowing here. But it was just, and it was in, in prayer as well. And again, I had immersed myself in Psalm twenty-three during those twenty-three days, and um, you know, was basically praying, chanting. Um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. I mean, just praying that line over and over as I'm trying to figure out which way to go. But anyway, yeah, it was a moment. But even during that chapel service, as I was telling that story, I knew I was out of time. I was running out of time. And I kind of scrambled through that story. And it's weird as you're speaking and you almost have like a a third person experience of yourself, an out of body experience where you observe what's going on and you observe how you're rushing and you're not telling the story quite like you wanted to or whatever, but it was just funny. I I mean, I had at least three moments in that sermon where I was 
having that sort of experience where you're observing what's going on and internally that head trash is like oh crap this sucks this is head not trash. going right <laughs> i like that well it was anyway. good man no it's anyway. good I, well, I, think, I think i'm realizing too that um i i've never heard you speak right like i've i've heard you i've heard you just for a little bit maybe in front of people We've had a lot of conversation privately and in groups together. I've had, I got a lot of interpersonal react, you know, interactivity with you, even from a distance, but I've never heard you speak in front of people. And it was just, it was fun. And it's just, you, you look like you were in, in your groove, man. So. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the, the moment and the nostalgia of being back on campus and, and engaging with college students and stuff. Right on. Any other takeaways from well from that or your week that you want to share? Hmm. Updates. Had an interesting interesting counseling session last night with a with the the female half of a couple. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned them already, but their marriage is struggling. They're three years into their marriage. They dated. They were part of our campus ministry for two years. Um, but their marriage is falling apart and just mm. Deb and I sat down with her last night and talked through some stuff, but it's kind of sad to hear somebody just, you can tell she's like emotionally done. Like it'll take some real divine intervention to turn this thing around. That's been a, that's been a kind of a big challenge source of anxiety and heaviness for us mm. this, this week. Jeremy, can I go next? Yeah, go for it. I want to show you my shirt. This is my favorite, like, running slash obstacle course training podcast to listen to. Gotcha. And this is their logo. If you if you look up their podcast, this is, like, their logo. They've got other shirts, but this was the one I wanted. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to order this shirt, but I can't wear it until I st actually start running again. Cause I don't, I just don't feel right about that. I'm going to give a, um, a young adult, local young adult update real quick. And then Jeremy will hand it over to you for life updates and local young adult updates. Um, I'm able to meet with young adults again. I'm so excited. <laughs> Can they, and I, and I, and I think they want to, but my, my, my creative juices are going on like how to get together where, you know, some people are wearing masks around here and some people aren't and some people are vaccinated and some people aren't. So like, how can I do that? I'm going to try to do a once a month thing with the younger young adults on Sunday mornings in between services. We've already got that kind of going, not planned yet, but going. And then I'm going to meet with the emerging young adults um, probably outside, probably on a Wednesday night. I'm going to ditch out on being youth staff for youth group and go to Chili's and have some, have some uh, chips and salsa like we've done before and kind of reconnect in person with some of those folks which I've been doing, but because the weather's turning, man, I'm already asking the cafe mule, when are you going to have your trail side service with your cold nitro cold brew? Um, and I'm going to make sure all young adults know about that so that they can meet out there at the parking lot. If they want to and go hiking, hike up to table rock. I'm going to do that with some young adults. I'm going to try to do like a once a month thing where I'm going to go do something and people can join me if they want to. If nobody shows up, I still have a great time. That's, that's my planning strategy as a leader. I'm going to assume that 
maybe nobody is going to show up. And, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to make sure that I don't feel like it's a waste of time because I did it for other people, but I'm going to enjoy it too. Let also, me know if you find that Frisbee. Oh yeah. Yeah. It probably burned <laughs> in the fire that happened the day. Oh, true. You, you guys, it probably melted to the silica. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about new life of in-person young adult stuff because the online stuff just as you guys know it hasn't hasn't been working um oh and last thing i'm, I'm having the northwest clergy dialogue conversation today where i'm sharing about i'm just asking about what they're doing with young adults i'm going to invite them all to read along with us too what's not done yet i think a lot of them would probably need to start reading with sustainable young adult ministry would be a good place and then go to not done yet i feel like those progress from each other well Either one would be good, yeah. but anyway, Jeremy, how are you doing, man? How's life, ministry? Yeah, um, it's been it's been good. It's uh, an interesting season as we're wrapping up the semester here on campus, and kind of similar thing to what, what you were saying, like figuring out what the next several months look like with warmer weather. How do we do some fun things while also accounting for different degrees of what people feel comfortable doing all you know all the COVID stuff that everybody you know that we're all fatigued about having to try to navigate those kind of things um kind of navigating that but the thing that I'm encouraged with is like that there's less of those things to account for and it um I'm really looking forward to to this summer and to the fall um trying to to make some changes in what we're doing to, to better as I'm learning more and connecting with more students. We've been here for about two years now uh, finding my, my goal has always been to not necessarily, not just to do what was could get the most people in a room. I, we've talked about this, but how do we, how do we, how can our church and how can the, the ministry work that I help coordinate? How can we meet a need that is not being met in other areas and trying to figure that out. So we're, we're kind of working on retweaking some of our small group stuff. I'm real quick, Kenny, one thing you said that I actually, I, I wrote down that I was thinking about when you said that you are doing stuff in between the services, how long of a, of a time is that in between your services that you're talking about doing stuff on it's, Sunday morning? It's 30 minutes. And Oftentimes, previously, the service wasn't quite finished yet, but you had people that were coming in for second service, um, and and it was it was um, drop in. It wasn't a programmed like here's our start time. We had a hard end time ish in the last five to three minutes. We would you know gather in a circle. Somebody would pray, or we'd say the Lord's prayer together. Um, but yeah, it was just drop in, grab a snack, say hi to somebody, have a conversation if you want. It was just, it was a place for young adults to kind of congregate and be around each other that was separate from the flow of the foyer. Yeah, I really like that idea. I, I, we have just started this last week going back to two services and was, and trying to think of, yeah, again, ways to, to just connect in the the weirdness of everything and try to, as I feel like I've spent the last, this last school year trying to tread water, uh, not necessarily trying to gain momentum, but just trying to sustain as much as possible to then be able to starting this summer, begin to make some moves that would hopefully not 
um, to only like increase numbers, but to more specifically find ways to to build deeper relationships, which I, on our Thursday night Bible study this last week, as I'm prepping for next year, I invite, I just handed out like uh, three by five cards and said, what is a question or something that you would be interested in talking about it as this group related to the Bible or Christianity? Like everything's on the table. You can write it anonymously. And it's, it was, it was really interesting to see all of the, the wide, wide variety of questions. Um, some that were more generic, like figuring out calling with some more specific about specific Christian morals or ethics or specific things in the Bible something that they had like read recently that they didn't understand. Um, so it's getting me very excited, uh, for this next, um, for the fall. Um, and personally, like life is really good. My son turns four this week, which is right on. Uh, so much fun. And we've got family coming into town to, to celebrate that. And he's all excited. Um, anytime, he, he, you know, he's, he's at that age where anytime you have a conversation with him, whether or not it connects, he will bring back whatever is present on his mind. So every conversation for the last three weeks with anyone he's run into they be like, hi, how are you? And they're like, hey, are you enjoying school? He's like, I turned four on April 15th. <laughs> Everything goes back to his birthday. Um, so it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Uh, it's just, it's pinned, family. it's pinned at the top of his account and his profile. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to make sure everyone is aware of it. So it's, yeah, we're, we're doing good. And with the summer getting to have the opportunity to, to work on some projects around the house, some personal projects, um, that I'm wanting to, to work on in ministry as well. It's, yeah, going to be a, a good couple months coming up. Cool. Uh, Culture Corner, I've got two articles and we can, we can choose which one we'd like to talk about. Like we could, we could decide that we all want to talk about one or you could be like, I don't want to talk about that one. I want to talk about the other one. I found it more appealing. But actually your dad, Jeremy, in Indianapolis, sent the three of us this article from Gallup on things uh, millennials expect in the workplace, generation of the millennials, which is you. Uh, yeah. I read, I read through it, and I thought that there was, I thought it was a great list too. All right, so things millennials expect in the workplace, or seven things every leader should know about working with millennials. Um. Let's go workplace. Three, three things. Workplace. That sounds okay. Yeah. Okay. This is the one that Jason us. He'll be so happy. Four, four things. Did we say three or four? It's four things. Four things. Oh, Generation four. Z four. and millennials expect from the workplace. Oh, see, this is this is a bonus article because you get Gen Z and millennials. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's also inter- so it's um yeah a Gallup article. I think one of the interesting things about it is that it also. Uh, based off of some of the surveying that it did, it also breaks up between young millennials and older millennials. So, or yeah, they compare in one of their graphs, Gen X versus older millennials versus the third category being young millennials and Gen Z and mm-hmm. what they look for in their employer by generation, uh, which I found personally interesting because I fall almost in the middle of the 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 split that they make between millennials. I was born in 91 and 
So I would technically be in that youngest category though. And I don't know what all options they gave them to click or to check on, but I probably would have went with the top three of the older millennials um, in terms of what is maybe would be most important to me. But it's, I think it's an interesting article that it, uh, so the, the, putting them all together, the top four that it talks about are that Gen Z and millennials want an employer who cares for their well-being. Gen Z millennials want their leaders to be ethical. Older millennials want open, transparent leaders. And number four, Gen Z and younger millennials want leaders who support a diverse and inclusive workplace. For the, for the two of you who are not Gen Z or millennial, uh, what are those like stood out to you or that you, that you found interesting that you agreed with or didn't from, from this article? My eyes went crossed when I looked at this, this green graphic where they have the four different generation segments that, that you outlined. Cause they, I mean, they, they're all the top three. Um, they're just in different orders based upon the generation. And I could move any of those around. I would say as a Gen Xer, um, the organization's leadership is ethical. They put as number one. That's important to me. The organization cares about employees' well-being. Yeah, that's probably more important to me. I'm more thoughtful about that than I ever used to be. And the organization's financial stability, it's just always nice, but I don't know that I've worked for many of those um, yeah. given, given this, the, the full stops of the positions that I've been in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting that for Gen X and baby boomers, that that financial stability is in the top three there, but it's not for the younger generations. That's one of the things that stood out to me. Well, I would have thought for baby boomers that the organization's financial stability would be like number one. Like they want, okay, mm-hmm. let's make sure we have an income. And then yeah, ethical and well-being. It's like, who, don't talk about your personal life, just do your job. We don't want to, when you're here, you know, when you go into like the grocery store or whatever, and you get two employees and they're talking loud enough so that everybody can hear about an interaction that they had with somebody or personal stuff. And I'm just like, I know we're people, but like, I didn't, I'm not involved. Like I'm not, I'm not a part, I'm not a part of this. I don't know you. Yeah. 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 I thought that was interesting too. I thought the financial thing was more important to, to boomers, but, um, I think I was telling you guys earlier, I just met uh, a young, let's see, she would be mid-20s, probably one of the younger millennials, I guess. Um, and she was talking about a new job that she, she had recently gotten and was very sort of disengaged, but then found that you know, when she spoke to a supervisor, they were more than willing to figure out basically how to tweak her job description to make it more engaging for her and mm. she found like an area of passion and was able to do some stuff with market analysis and created this report with graphs and all of a sudden her supervisors are all excited like oh wow you really love this part of the business um it was just interesting because i thought you know that's just an interesting way that i think corporate the corporate world has shifted to to kind of bend over backwards to try to help employees figure out their niche or how to keep them engaged or, or whatever. Um, and that definitely feels like that's been a shift that's happened over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. Not that I've had a lot of experience in corporate environments, but um, yeah. 
I can tell you my last full-time gig, they didn't really care about my gifting and graces, gifts and graces and talents and abilities or skills previously. It was just like, can you do this job? Cause that's what we want. Yeah. Can you, can you deliver, can you scan and deliver packages and do it? And before the overnight is, is late, can, can you do that? Sometimes, sometimes I could, um, overall being, it's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that vibe, but in, in the settings that I have had the privilege of working with millennials and Gen Z, and I would, th- I would say as in youth ministry and, and young adult roles that I've been in before, like I was seeking out those things. But when I worked at, at because every, like 90% of everybody on staff there are millennials. And now, you know, there's younger folks they've hired that are Gen Z and, and there really is an awesome effort to take care of the whole person, like get your job done, know what your job is and get it done. But let's take care of each other. Let's have fun together. Let's be diverse and inclusive. That was very much a part of the norms. And it was also helping people find their sweet spot of where they were going to really thrive that helps raise productivity level across the board. And I, I think I see and hear more churches having conversations like that with their entire staff, not just with younger staff. Um, I'm willing to do a lot of things that I wouldn't normally like choose as my first choice if I can focus on things I'm good at primarily and then have to deal with some other stuff that is just part of the role, but it's not something that I really like. I think that's just a part of life and adulting. Yeah. I think one of the things that is interesting, you think about the difference between like some companies and organizations that are somewhat more like knowledge based or like soft skills have the ability or the freedom to be able to say, Hey, we may not have the exact job that you want, but like, we want you and, or you're already here and we want to keep you. And so we can tailor the job in some way to still continue to, to meet the mission, but to be able to have the ability to, to, to tweak the job a little bit, I think is, I would say is great. Like I've been able to experience that in a few different places where it's like, okay, we got you here. And here's what you're doing, but we also know that there's going to be some changes as we go, as we get to, as you better understand us and we better understand you to, um, to be able to lean into what you're most passionate about, knowing that if what you're like, what you said, Chris, if it's something that you're deeply passionate about, it's where you're going to be able to bring your most, um, like productiveness and the best of yourself into, and, I don't know if maybe it's because I'm a, you know, a product of, of my generation that I think that's so important, but I think that having that ability as an organization and as a church specifically, not only with staff, but with volunteering of saying like, Hey, like we really want you, let's find a place to, to plug you in is not accommodating like a generational difference necessarily, but saying like, okay, this is the reality. And how do we make sure as we're going to be talking about in the book, not done yet, like how do we reach and keep emerging adults connected. I was listening to a a radio story. I'm going to send you guys the link to this book. I can't remember the exact title, but it was about adulting and it sounded like a great graduation gift, whether for a high school student or for a college student or a master's student or seminary student. I mean, I, I just think within the adulting spectrum, uh, but the, the author, she talked about the, the confluence um, of finding your, your sweet spot 
with work and vocation in life that's something within your skill set, um, something that you enjoy doing, and you have a sense of belonging. And when those three streams can kind of overlap, you can find a, a, a sweet spot that you can like really give yourself to and, and invest in. Um, and, and the most important thing in there isn't financial stability, um, but you're taking care of well-being within that. Um, I think that the ethics would be wrapped up in that. Diversity and, and inclusiveness is wrapped up in that. But individually, where that place of belonging means that you're contributing and you feel like that there's also a relational connection with it, with it too. But that was, that was meaningful to me when I heard it. I just thought that's, I think that has a lot of application for people and working people in general, not just young adults, but it's the, the, that, that book that is not the book that we're talking about, but I think it would be a great resource. Um, is one of like all the things that you didn't learn while you were growing up that are helpful for adulting, which I probably need to get one for my son graduated from high school because apparently he feels ill-prepared and is like, dad, why haven't you taught me that yet? <laughs> he said to me the other day, what did he say? Can you, can you show me how to, can you show me how to jump a car? Like how to, you know, jumpstart the battery and stuff. I'm like, oh, wow. yeah, in my, in my mind, I was like, I'm pretty sure we've done that. I know I've showed him how to change a tire, but you still need, you need reps. You get just not one and done. You you need reps to build confidence with it and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I digress into other topics, but. It's, I think always, it's, it's yeah. interesting to me too, with like my daughter who's a senior in high school and she's got like a restaurant gig, a little part-time job right now. And I can even tell just in that, you know, I think back to in college, I had a Taco Bell food gig. That was one of my, that was my only fast food job, you know, as a whatever. Um, and, you know, her need to sense that the owner of this place, like actually, you know, cares, uh, you know, and cares about some of the relationship stuff and some of the drama things and some of the, you know, at a lot of restaurant gigs, you've got people who, some people who have a work ethic and some people don't. And so, you know, the people that work really hard tend to get taken advantage of by the people who can kind of skate by and let that person do most everything. Um, it's just interesting to see how much more she cares about the owner and whether or not the owner cares about her and stuff. I just remember working some jobs like that where I was like, I mean, I, I'm just going to do my job and I don't expect anybody to, to like me or care about me outside of this place or whatever. You know, it does seem like just like higher expectations for the whole, that trust piece and transparency does, you know, the person, obviously a restaurant gig is much different from a corporate, you know, real life job kind of thing. There's a high turnover and high turnover jobs. I think the, the relationship aspect must be harder. The whole person well-being considerations it's like i are you gonna be here next week we don't know i don't know if i'm gonna be here next week <laughs> this is a local family-owned um pizza joint and so it has a it has kind of a nicer family culture you know to it than a normal you know like working at chipotle or panera or something like that but um so and i think that's what actually keeps her at this job whereas 
she did have a job at Panera. She quit pretty quickly when that got mm. when that scene got ugly. But um, she's stayed more like committed to this, I think, because of the owner and because of the family feel to it, in the sense that you know relationships with these people is more important than even the paycheck. She knows she could make more money at Target or you know doing something else, but <clears throat> is kind of enjoying the people there, but. Uh, I think that's an important, that's an important consideration for me in my forties of, you know, doing this job, this little delivery job with, with school lunches, I get paid less than, than other stuff or similar to, but I enjoyed a whole lot more. I enjoy the flow of it. I enjoy the flexibility of it and and the environment that I'm in. Um, And when I was doing UPS, I, I longed to be back in that role. And now I get to do that a little bit on the side and in between things here. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. This article introduced me to a new acronym and, and terms related to uh, the work environment for younger generations. It's ESG, environmental, social, and governance criteria are increasingly at the forefront of investor board and executive conversations. So environmental, social, and govern, governance. Um, who are those pillar people in our organization that are, that are looking after uh, those important things? Are they just happening on their own? Are they intentional? Because it seems that they feed into uh, the, just the, 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 I don't know, the ethos, the culture overall of, of an organization, whether there's a church or whatever sector it's in. One of my takeaways. Yeah, that's interesting how basically the metrics, you know, are changing in terms of I think what a Gen Z or millennial would consider as a being part of a successful organization, um, the financial piece is definitely not the most important consideration. But what's the social impact? What's the environmental impact? It, do they care about diversity and inclusion? Yeah. Um, those metrics are definitely different than I think we as Gen Xers and the generation before us felt like was the most important thing about jobs and work well thank you Gallup and jay for producing and sending us this article separate from one another but still it was it was it was a good one we have a book we've been reading yeah should we talk about that let's do it having to make difficult decisions is one of the things that young adults deal with a lot. We are starting into a, a multifaceted journey through Beth Severson's book, Not Done Yet, subtitle Reaching and Keeping Unchurched Emerging Adults. And so we're going to be, if, if I'm correct, we're talking about the introduction in chapter one, right? Correct. Awesome. So we, I, I'll say this question and then say a little bit more right after it, but what stood out to you guys from the introduction chapter? And just as a reminder, at the end of our conversation here, we'll talk a little bit more about how we're continuing the conversation with some more friends and colleagues from uh, other young adult ministry contexts. So we'll mention that at the end of the podcast, but jumping into this book and the introduction, what stood out to you guys from those first, from that first chapter? I think, first of all, I'm always curious, you know, who the author is, what the context and background is. So 
you know, she's a, a doc, got a PhD in something, something from Trinity, you know, in Chicago. She's in that Chicago area. She's been a denominational leader in the Evangelical Covenant Church in the area of evangelism. I know she was on staff with InterVarsity um, for a little while as well. Um, she's got kind of an InterVarsity connection. And obviously her book is printed by IV Press. Um, and then it sounds like she was, you know, basically just to bring people up to speed, she was doing, she got intrigued um, and she talks about Christian Smith's research, um, you know, with uh, emerging adults and what was that book, Souls in Transition, I think. Um, but basically the, you know, we all see some of that research and see the negative the huge percentage of millennials and Gen Z that are dropping out from the church. She saw the 8% that are sticking with it or growing and wanted to get behind that and figure out, well, what, why is there even that, you know, why does that even 8% exist? So she started digging into her own denominational setting and found, um, you know, these 19 or 20 churches, I think, and did a deep dive on, you know, what's going on in those churches. And she ended up calling these bright spot churches churches where some good things were happening, where I think her criteria criteria was like in the last 12 months, at least um, eight young adults had come to a faith commitment, you know, with Christ and were actively engaging in the, in the life of the church, um, which, yeah, makes me think like, yeah, that's a high bar. Like, I don't know too many churches that could probably say we've had eight young adults come to Christ, um, you know, in the last 12 months and have stayed connected so so anyway the bright spot church thing basically she's you know done this research and and figured out in her own denominational setting here's some good things that seem to be happening um you know intro in the intro maybe it's good to just touch on what she's going to dig into through the whole book i think is what she calls these five invitational practices um you know of these bright spot churches what is it that they're doing um, so just real quickly, these five things, she used uh, some alliteration, some I words, uh, you know, they're initiating uh, relationships uh, with unchurched young adults, they're invitational, so they're very welcoming uh, to young adults, they're including young adults, sometimes, um, you know, she would say radically inc including young adults into the life of the church, uh, involving them in service and leadership and then investing um, you know, in young adults. It seems to be those five practices are things that she's observing in these bright spot churches. Um, so to me, the intro was kind of a little bit of a, you know, a summation of, uh, of that. What did I miss, Kenny? Anything in the intro jump out to you? Oh man, you, you gave a very succinct uh, foundation for the conversation as well as a great introduction way better than I would have let me tell you what what I've got what I've got are my highlights okay I like the question what would success even look like these days and I think that's an important one to keep at the forefront reading through the book together and in young adult ministry um, overall like what's what does success look like in my context and I applaud someone that looks at their contacts and the network of their churches and doesn't ask, why aren't we getting more people here? Maybe you ask that question to get to, like you said, the 8% of why, why are these sticking around? And it, it just reminds me of 
a helpful practice um, of focusing on who is present and not always focusing on who isn't there. You know, it's like when you roll up into the activity to church, to young adult stuff, to youth group, and people get there and they, and there's 20 people around and they go, where is everybody? And they mean they're three friends, right? And as a leader, I have to be disciplined to focus on who is present, who wants to engage, who is, who is ready for conversation instead of always looking to who isn't here. I think that's a, that's an easy trap to fall into. Um, and the perspective of not just trying to get young adults at church to church, you know, stuck in community, sticking, sticky faith, but engaging those that are present in things that are missional in the sense of of out and in community and engaging with what God's already doing in the world. And she highlights some of those things in, in the introduction here as, as some of the content that's kind of teased out with each one of the, the uh, eyes initiating, inviting, including, involving, investing. I really like the graphic that she has, you know, in the circle, we need a graphic and we need a circle uh, and in the middle of it, it has a clock and it says immediately, like any one of these things can begin. It's not a continuum that has to be one right after the other. And you start, you start here. Oh, we can't take any more young adults right now because we're in this journey and you can start in eight weeks. Anything that's like that, like it's locked. I like the idea that she raises the bar of like involvement. Like we don't want to we don't want to um, under ask. We don't want to under invite. Um, but I think it's helpful to enter into relationship first and not just like try to slam a young adult with all the things. If when I have been tempted to do that, the pushback I get locally is I've got enough going on. I just want to connect with people. And so I feel like wherever you're at in your context with young adults, you can find a place to begin the conversation in this. And, and not, well, that works for her bright spot churches, but not for mine. Like what would a bright spot, what would a bright spot look like in young adult ministry in your context is a great way to hold um, the reading of the book. And almost done. Churches reach younger generations in part by taking risks. I think that's a great carryover from sustainable young adult ministry and, and reading through that. Um, And this book is for everyone, for anyone who longs to reach the growing number of unchurched young adults and incorporate them into, into the life of the church. Um, I think maybe this is more into chapter one. And I don't want to, you know, skip ahead too quick, but anytime that I feel the invitation is about trying to get young adults into the church, I actually made a note here on that quote. My, my goal, incorporate them into the life of the church. I, I read that and I go, yeah, that's, that's good. And this is me, okay? I'm not speaking for you guys. I'm just saying for myself. My goal isn't to incorporate them into the life of the church. I think that my goal is for them to be the church. And whether they're in attendance or they're at work or they couldn't make it, 
or they're doing something else, that they're being the church, that their life and faith in Christ is so vibrant, it's so bright, that they don't have to be incorporated into the life of the church in order to be living that out as a goal. So I put, not my goal, to be and to do and church and, and to go as the church. That, that, that's church. So I, I don't think that that's what she's saying. I'm not trying to make a, a, an either or false dichotomy. Um, but if I get done reading this book and I feel like the, ol- the only invitation takeaway from it is, is like, how do we get more young adults in the church? I'm going to feel like we missed it. I'm going to feel like I missed it. Yeah, before Jeremy shares, I know he's got something ready. I would just say this, co- this connects for me a little bit to the article of like being concerned about the well-being of young adults. Um, and so our main goal, she refers to the identity formation kind of stuff that's happening, you know, helping young adults figure out who they are. Obviously, from a Christian church perspective, we, we might tag on in Christ, you know, who are they in Christ? Um, what is their place in the world? Uh, and then, you know, for us, we would want to take that, like, how does being engaged in the church community, you know, help them towards that? So, uh, to me, I think it's important that we, yeah, we not have the focus be on the success of a young adult ministry or, you know, growth numbers, you know, those kinds of things. But if, if we can be focused on how can we really enhance, you know, the well-being of our young adults, how can we help them, mentor them in this journey towards, you know, figuring out who they are and how they fit, Um you know, I think that will when we do that in the context of Christian community, it will um, result in some good things that become measurable, so to speak, from the church side of things. But um, anyway, I just I like that idea of trying to stay focused on the well-being of a young adult and what is it that we're trying to contribute and help them with. This is not us trying to find young adults to help us with our agenda, mm. um, and that's often what mm. how people perceive young adults in the church, I think. Yeah, one of the things standing out as you both were sharing is the importance of our language and and what we talk about. So when we say success and like, what does that look like? And one of the things that I appreciate here in the beginning that um, that Beth points out is, yeah, she defines bright spot churches. And Chris, you were talking about that earlier, I think one of the things that stood out to me there was it's not just about having eight conversions of a a young adult in the last 12 months, but that there's also, literally she said, but also eight new converts become active in the church in some way, that there's also an action component to it, which one like theologically and in terms of the work of the church, I think is really important, but also just like what what we measure is what we focus on, what we measure is what we value. And if it's only about like an, an individual prayer as important as those are like if that's all that we are measuring quote unquote then that's what we're going to be centering our attention on but if we're saying yeah that's good we want to have people involved like that then sets like the framework of what we're working towards as a church i think in a different trajectory and as as kenny pointed out it's not simply about incorporating into the church. And again, I think language matters here. Cause for me in hearing that I heard a little bit differently than Kenny, like I, Kenny, I agree with what you said. And for me, it was like, okay, it's, it's not about like coming to a gathering. Cause again, it's not just about like individual prayers of conversion, but saying, how do we, 
how do we invite people to in their entire lives become more and more like Christ, which begins not begin, which is is marked by by prayers of repentance, uh, but begins before that and continues on after that. And so the question that she has at the very beginning, I think it was page two, what would it take to get young adults to come to church and to stay there? For me, it wasn't about, I think the importance of that question is not about coming to a building, but saying, how do we have a community of believers that is, has a culture in that young adults feel invited, are invited, and want to stay. And I think that's really important because so often in young adult ministry, in college ministry, the temptation can be just like, how do we do the biggest event possible? How do we do the easiest way to get the most amount of people? And if what you're measuring is is people, obviously, the more people that hear about Christ, the more people that become like Christ is important. But like, real life change comes in discipleship. You had 5,000 plus people who got fish and loaves and heard a sermon from Jesus, but like real life transformation happened with the 12 people that he lived life with for over three years. And not even all of them got it. Like some of them missed the point terribly. And so how do we, how do we, instead of saying like, how do we get them to show, how do we get young adults to show up for a special gathering? It's how do we have spaces where young adults stay. And I think that happens in the the smaller interpersonal activities, the stuff that Kenny was talking about that he's working on for the coming months of connecting in in fun ways, but in ways that allow space to to grow deeper in our in our journey with God and our journey with each other as well. I think of it as as the the closed set and the open set. And my, my uh, introduction to that as kind of a, a missiological uh, practice, um, a discipleship model was in the book, The Shaping of Things to Come by Frost and Hirsch. And uh, probably stuck because it used like a, like an Australian outback of sheep and where the watering holes at. And you try to fence the sheep in. Um, no, you, you don't set any fences. You just show the sheep where the water are at. And when they need to drink and hydrate, they will. Um, and you can try to create a closed set with any age group. Um, it's easier in younger age groups, but as you enter into adulthood, adults make their adult decisions that we've raised them to make. And then when they don't do the ones that we want, I get frustrated. Um, and so having that, keeping an open set, uh, mindset for me is really helpful of investing in who's there and investing and reaching out to others. Um, and, and knowing that it's available. I think it's to me, one of my philosophies in young adult ministry is making sure that the young adults that are connected to our church body know that there's something available for them even if they don't participate in it, it was there and they knew that it was there. That's, that's really maybe low hanging fruit, small goal. Um, but, 
but there have been those that have connected that weren't before because of that. And so I see it as, as a bright spot and, and as a success. Well, as we kind of, we've already dabbled in some of the stuff that's actually in chapter, wait, is it chapter one? Yeah. Journeying. Journeying, yes. The long winding road to identity formation. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked about a little bit of, you know, of this already. Um, it's always interesting to revisit the, some of these thoughts of, you know, as we're working with young adults, what is, what are the goalposts in terms of, you know, what is it young adults are trying to uh, accomplish or what is the marks of adulting, so to speak. Um, so those are always interesting to kind of revisit. I think she references Jeffrey Arnett with mm -hmm. uh, mentioning identity exploration, instability uh, in love work and where you live self-focus, figuring out independence, uh, feeling in between or in transition, um, possibilities and optimism. Those are all sort of like the emerging adulthood uh, markers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I, we, we've talked in and out of this over the last few months together, um, Arnett's uh, term that he coined of emerging adulthood, and he's got great resources too to check out. Um, but the younger 18 to 23 and then 24 to 29, that's probably where I get that. That's probably where I get that um, marker in my mind. And that's how I think about our local young adult ministry. And as we've defined that more and, and we've kind of honed in on or lasered in on which areas that, that each one of us uh, focus in on with investing in young adults, um, that conversation was so intriguing to me, but it was also, I don't know. I, I was like, it, it was formative because I was realizing that I was thinking about young adults completely different than you guys. And my bad habit tendency is to try to get people to think the way that I do. And if they don't, then it, it's like, well, why don't they think that way? And why wouldn't, maybe I need to think more their way. So I just, these conversations help sharpen me, but I've, I've be, I've snuggled up to the idea that I probably navigate or not navigate, uh, gravitate more with the young, the older emerging adult set. And as I've reflected on our conversations and then looked in our context and who am I, I'm in communication with most, that's the case. Um, but they're not going to be there forever. And, and the younger young adults are going to be moving into that space here soon so having a, a continuum of care is probably pretty important um you like that jeremy snuggle snuggle up yeah. to the idea. snuggled up to the idea yeah. that was i don't know it was cozy <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was cozy but arnett is formative for me is probably what i'm getting at here and just in thinking about young adult ministry emerging young adults that that's changed, that there's, I still bump into the idea of people who are like, look, they're 18, they're adults, get over it, join a ministry. Like, why do we need to create something special for you? Who do you, you know, say, but who do you think you are? And why do you need something special? What's wrong with this generation? And it's like, well, it's way more nuanced than that. And um, things have changed. And so we need to adapt and innovate with that. Yeah, and I think my initial pushback when hearing something like that is like, 
like how are they like by by what by what way are they supposed to get engaged and stuff like they've as you're as you're entering into as you're graduating from high school and entering into emerging adulthood however you want to uh describe that like if you've been a part of a completely different segment of the church like where do you find space to plug in and also most of like 90 percent of subsets of the church are tailored to specific individuals whether it be adults or children and so then where do you get then how do you get plugged in maybe some of the more missional minded ones are are where you can you kind of avoid that where instead of it being about me it being about something that we engage in i heard recently scott mcknight say something along the lines of that for for young adults for many of them, they're interested in the work of the kingdom of God, but not so much the church because they see a disconnect between what God is doing in the world and what the church is doing. So how do we how do we bridge that gap? One of my favorite uh, transition here, one of my favorite quotes in maybe any ministry book that I've read is on page 12 where Beth says, for research, I traveled to Burning Man. <laughs> I like trying to think of like how do you as you're as you're working on a project like, okay no like I I promise this is for religious research but as she goes into and in talking about like all of these different spiritual expressions which I knew existed uh, to some to the nominal degree that I know what Burning Man is um, but her explaining it and then the conversations she had I think really really highlight um, in a really important way how spiritual conversations and questions of meaning and purpose infiltrate all of young adults. Like I think the way that she puts it later on in chapter one is uh, the two questions are, who am I and what is my place in the world? Which reminded me, there's a, I won't tell the whole story, but there's a story about a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva who lived shortly after the time of Jesus. And he meets a soldier who asks him, two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? And Rabbi Kiva says, can I pay you to come home with me and ask me those same two questions every morning? Uh, who are you and what are you doing here? I think are two of the most important questions that like two of the most important questions that we should be asking. But they're also, I think if you, if you drill down, they are at a, like a, a deep core, especially for emerging adults, for young adults, that those two questions are what we're, I'll say that because you talked about how there's the two different areas, 18 to 23, 23 to 29. I'm 29 for a few more weeks. Like those are, those are questions of, as you enter into adulthood, like what is my identity and what is my purpose? Who am I and what am I doing here? Mm. And when it's done well, I think one of the things that Beth points out, like a bright spot church, you'll see the fruit of this in when, when people are coming and, committing their lives to Christ and are engaging in the church. But like, how is the church doing that? It's when they're creating the space and the opportunity to say, we will help, we will give you the space to, to figure out your identity and your purpose mm -hmm. and that you don't have to have it all figured out that you can, she says, you can try out Christian identity before committing to it, which I think is vitally important. I, I remember I was uh, interviewing um, a gentleman for a podcast that had gone to Northwest Nazarene College in the 1950s. And he uh, um, 
Franklin Cook, uh, highly involved in, in all kinds of work in the Church of the Nazarene, a jack of all trades, kind of a utility go-to missioner. And as I was talking to him, sitting in Northwest Nazarene University's um, um, learning commons in a study room that I wish I'd had when I was there, a whiteboard, and we're, we're talking, and I'm listening to him tell stories about when he was in college in the 1950s, and he got to his junior year, and he had no idea what he was going to do after he graduated. I thought, man, that sounds familiar. Spent three years on education. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And he was a history major, but then didn't want to teach or go into something with the, but apply for history and then ended up getting hired at like, I think he maybe went to seminary and then he got hired at Nazarene Global Headquarters. And then he worked in like three or four different jobs there with the last one being world missions. And he has these amazing stories about like starting the work of the Church of the Nazarene in the former Soviet Union. And everybody's trying to get out of Russia and he's sitting in some premier's office trying to get a permit to get a license to start a church. As a young adult, he had no idea what he was going to do with his life. And as he sought God's guidance and leadership and the people that were around him in his journey, um, he was willing to experiment and try different things. And it led to some awesome stuff. It leads to other stories and other people that we would know and opening up mission work in, in places around around the world. I need to go back and listen to that dialogue with him and maybe just go have coffee with him again because he because he lives close by here. But it it got me just reflecting on in chapter one here where she talks about delaying adulthood. I think that a lot of us are are still thinking in, in the church that uh, young adults leave home, complete an education, gain financial independence, marry, start a family, and for those of privilege, homeownership. Like that's uh, kind of this default, I don't know if you would call it American dreamish type mindset of this is how you're supposed to progress. And everybody that doesn't, it's deviant. Like you're, you're, you're diverging from the path that's clearly cut for what it means to be successful. And I think um, young adults, baby boomers, uh, led the way, Gen X, millennials now, Gen Z, are going, yeah, what, the, what is the path going to look like for me? And I'm not really sure. And, and as you get into the stats and the reflections in this chapter, you can try to operate in that previous default kind of sequential, these are the biggest decisions of your life that you're going to make, which isn't wrong. They're, just, they're happening at a different pace for people for lots of different yeah. reasons. Um, some of them are geopolitical. They're not just individualistic. I just don't want to be like other people. There's a lot of different factors. And so we're meeting young adults connected to or attending our churches that are coming in in various phases of this emerging adult continuum. And so when I talk about like wanting to go on a hike and go visit the cafe mule and stuff, here's the gold for me. I'm going to be on a walk with somebody. And if there's 30 people there, I'm probably going to be talking with one or two of them. If there's one or two people there, I'm probably going to be talking with one or two of them. So wh however many attend or don't attend, and if nobody shows up, I'm going to have a great cup of nitro brew coffee. But there's going to be a relational investment 
of me into them and them into me. And is there anything more biblical than just going on a walk? I mean, it just boils down to that. So when we create spaces in our church's network, not just in the building, but that's a great place to start, of just being able to have unscripted conversations where people get to know each other, it encourages me to read a chapter one and be like, that fits with this idea that I'm kind of wrestling with of how do we just get in relational proximity so those good things can begin to naturally seep out instead of trying to program them or trying to create um, time zones that these things have to happen in. Um, I think the unscripted times are the, are the most interesting and that's most of our lives. I can script out my life. It's going to go off script. It's going to get flipped. And um, I think being in community with young adults can help us. It helps me remember that's continuing to happen for me. It happened in a different sequence and order than them, but I learn from them and, and they learn from me. So I think also in getting into this book and reading the chapter one, we, I need to be reminded to not make the assumption that this is something that we're doing for young adults, but this is with young adults. And there's a discipleship aspect of this happening on me, for me, to me. Um, and so then young adult ministry then is not just something that we're discipling young adults, but it's a part of the church's discipleship. It's a part of the individual leader, the pastor's discipleship of being reverse mentored by a generation that's emerging in their social context. Yeah, I thought it was, there's a quote on page 19. She says, in their book on discipling emerging adults, Richard Dunn and Jaina Sundin, if I pronounce that right, um, they write, in every country and culture, the key factor that determines whether young adults are thriving or simply surviving is always the same. The availability and accessibility of teachers, coaches, pastors, friends, mentors. Um, so to me, that is like making community and relationships available. Um, now, I think sometimes we we want to turn mentoring into a, a program. I think we have to be careful with how we, um, you know, try to structure and, and do mentoring. But um, but anyway, I love how you know the emphasis on mentoring, the emphasis on yeah, again, just being with young adults and not trying to do things to or for young adults. I think that's a good, and I mean, just because we're running out of time here, for, for me, the way this chapter ends, asking a couple of questions, like, first of all, look at your own context. Who are the young adults? Um, can, can you put some names, you know, in a column, so to speak, and think, okay, these are, these are who we have access to right now. And then who are the who are the supportive adults in the church environment that can come alongside and create some of these um, opportunities for, um, yeah, for experiencing community relationships, mentoring, coaching. Uh, I think another powerful thing she says at one point is that it, the thing that bright spot churches are not doing is just leaving young adults to figure it out on their mm, own. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of churches do that. They just kind of think, uh, they'll, they'll figure it out. And, you know, later they'll, 
reconnect or whatever. Um, the other thing I think we we mess up or we um, I don't know get bogged down with is trying to is like thinking we have to have structure, we have to have a program, we have to have everything nailed down before we really engage with young adults. And again, I think a point she makes is immediately, like don't let too much time go by from when somebody shows up at church, so to speak, or you get connected with a young adult. Don't let too much time go by before you initiate and invite and involve and you know engage them in those those five practices. And I think sometimes we're we're reluctant or we think, well, as soon as we get this program in place or as soon as we get this event on the calendar, you know, then we can uh, see some things happen. But I think what I'm seeing in some of these bright spot churches that she's talking about is just this willingness to engage immediately and not wait for um, like the time to be right, so to speak, um, or the event or the calendar or uh, the pandemic or whatever to be perfectly situated. That's, I guess, kind of kind of my takeaway right now from that. that well, for, for those of us that, that may join us in, in reading, the other chap, the other like headings in the chapter are, so we talked about the delaying commitments to identity, and then there's this delaying of Christian commitment. And so you have this role of mentors and finding identity um, and then experimenting with Christian identity. There's, there's sometimes, as mentioned before, that push to like, okay, make the decision. Okay, now you're in. Okay, now here's all the things you do. And it's like, uh, they're experimenting. So young adults can be the R&D of the church, even while they're experimenting with um, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Like they have the freedom and openness from us to do that. Like, can, can we assume those postures as a strategy for a dual discipleship evangelism? that's about journeying with someone that's experimenting with Christianity. I find that inspiring and challenging. Yeah. And for those of you listening, they're like, I want to keep on talking about this. We totally have that opportunity. Yes, we do. <laughs> Which is part of our continuing to, to grow and uh, not only in our own ministry, but within the context of this podcast to, as we're going through this book, not done yet, inviting in others. And so once a month, as we also, the three of us, as friends will be talking about this, we're also going to be having extra episodes that you'll be able to find on Facebook Live that we'll be promoting and then also sharing uh, as well conversations about this, uh, this same book, but unique conversations to those involved in ministry in different parts of the country. Kenny or Chris, is there anything else we should mention uh, about those opportunities coming up? I was just going to say, I've, I've been thinking about this more and more, and <clears throat> we've talked about setting a date. Like we know it's going to be like the first Wednesday or whatever of the month that this live conversation is going to be. I don't know how well that's going to work with each one of us have different individuals that we've invited. And so I, I'm thinking it's, it, if I invite somebody, like I've got somebody lined up for our first session. Um, and I was going to talk with you guys just to make, are we going to have one guest? We're going to have two guests. It might, it might differ each time but I want to meet with them when they have time and when yeah. it works, because some of them are bivocational, co-vocational and, and they're um, I want to, I want to be flexible to, to when they want to invest. And so this isn't going to be a rehash of the things necessarily that we just talked about together. It'll be a new perspective interject injected into the conversation 
monthly on the chapter of a practitioner of young adult ministry from somewhere else in USA, Canada. Um, it may be all of three of us that are in the conversation with them. It may be just the person that's invited that person to be in the conversation, depending upon all of our schedules. But I think here's what we can guarantee. One, we're going to have a guest uh, that we talk about the book with. Two, it's going to be live on Facebook, TBD. Um, and three, that will be recorded and it will be posted as an additional podcast episode. So you can join it live as a reader, or you can catch it later on or both, and you can share um, any of those that you want to. I think those are the things that we can guarantee right now as we kind of get into this and experiment with that new aspect of our YAMcast. Yeah, and just to remind everybody, most of our communication about all this is either in the Facebook group um, or the Slack channel. So find us on Slack, yamcast.slack.com. If you go to that uh, link, you should be able to, I don't know if it'll give you like a, a request access kind of thing. Um, and then we'll respond to that and make sure you get connected there. Or obviously the Facebook group is easy to connect to. And that's facebook.com backslash NCYM, something like that. You're yeah, breaking up, Chris. Oh, oh no, that wasn't. We were just delaying. I thought it was a delay. We'll have it. We'll have a link, or we'll have a link in the description notes of this podcast. There we go. There okay, we go. I can commit to that. Sweet. Cool. Well, <clears throat> until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present, and let's be teachable, folks. See you right, later. Fellas. See ya.